from Drake University and then Democratic presidential debate. We are here today to cross a very important threshold in American history. An incredibly incriminating cache of documents from Rudy Giuliani's indicted associate, Lev Parnas. Yeah. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. We're going to cover all of that somehow. I got the feeling of something right. Wish us luck. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates and podcast download sites. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for our special coverage, well, of quite a few things. It was the seventh Democratic presidential debate of the 2020 cycle. It was the first Democratic presidential debate of 2020. And the last Democratic presidential debate before voters finally turn out to vote for the first time in the actual 2020 nominating contest in the first in the nation Iowa caucuses just over three weeks from today. Or, as The Daily Show described it, the last debate before the rest of the debates. Yes, there will be three more of these uh, debates next month alone Though uh, what they will have left to talk about by then remains somewhat unclear. We'll be joined momentarily by our special guests for our special coverage of the last debate before voting begins to discuss Tuesday night's debate in Des Moines, Iowa, as sponsored by CNN and the Des Moines Register. Well, we're not sponsored by them. But the debate was. Um, But as in our previous special coverage of the previous Democratic debate, we are forced to split our focus today a bit to a number of different and also pretty important things all going on at once, as is now the norm, sadly, amid the madness of this horrific Trump era. The U.S. House voted Wednesday to send two articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump to the U.S. Senate and to approve House managers or prosecutors in the upcoming Senate impeachment trial for only the third such trial in American history. 
The nearly party-line vote moved Trump's impeachment from Speaker Nancy Pelosi's Democratic-run House to the Republican-majority Senate, where Trump expects acquittal, even as new evidence from just over the past 12 hours or so is now raising disturbing new questions about his Ukraine dealings. The president is charged with abuse of power over his pressure on Ukraine to investigate Democratic rival Joe Biden using military aid to the country and a still withheld promise of a White House meeting for its new president as leverage. Trump was also charged with obstructing Congress. The seven-member prosecution team was announced Wednesday morning by Pelosi. It will be led by the chair of the House impeachment proceedings, the chairs, I should say, Congressman Adam Schiff of the Intelligence Committee, Jerry Nadler of the Judiciary Committee, and will also include a diverse group of other members as well with legal, law enforcement, and military courtroom experience, including Hakeem Jeffries of New York, Sylvia Garcia of Texas, Val Demings of Florida, Jason Crow of Colorado, and Zoe Lofgren of California. Ahead of Wednesday's session, approving the House managers and transmission of the articles to the Senate, Schiff released new records from Lev Parnas, the associate of Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani, concerning the Ukraine strategy including a really creepy exchange with a Republican Connecticut Connecticut landscaper and U.S. House candidate and apparently Donald Trump's superfan detailing what appears to be his surveillance of the later ousted U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. Schiff said that the new disturbing evidence should bring more pressure on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell who is currently reluctant to allow first-hand witnesses to testify in the trial, which could begin in some fashion as soon as Thursday, though more significant proceedings are unlikely to begin until next Tuesday after the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. The Constitution calls for the Chief Justice to provide preside over senators who serve as jurors and swear an oath to deliver, quote, impartial justice, well, Good luck with that one, Mr. McConnell. Congressman Schiff reiterated his charge again today that, quote, if McConnell makes this the first trial in history without witnesses, it will be exposed for what it is. And that is an effort to cover up for the president. Just before airtime today, the House managers were set to walk the articles of impeachment across the Capitol to the Senate in a dramatic procession, apparently called an engrossment ceremony. Who knew to kick off this historic trial during Pelosi's press conference announcing the managers on Wednesday morning? Trump, apparently now a constitutional scholar, tweeted something to the effect that the impeachment was, quote, Another con job by the do-nothing Democrats. All of this work was supposed to be done by the House, not the Senate. Really? As to the new document dump from the smartphone of Giuliani protege Lev Parnas on Tuesday night as the Democratic presidential contenders were debating in Iowa, documents released by the House reveal new details about Trump's pressure campaign on Ukraine, Increasing calls on Senate Republicans to subpoena additional documents and witnesses as the impeachment trial is set to begin. 
The documents include letters, notes, and text messages that link Trump more closely to the efforts to get Ukraine to announce investigations into the president's political rivals. And there are reportedly more revelations still to come from Parnas, according to an official working on the impeachment inquiry. Among the items disclosed on Tuesday were notes scrawled on a sheet of paper from the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Vienna saying, quote, get Zelensky to announce that the Biden case will be investigated. That apparently a reference to the effort to convince President Vladimir Zelensky of uh, Ukraine to announce an investigation of former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter. The documents also include a May 2019 letter from Giuliani that is the first public document to indicate that Trump was aware of what his lawyer was doing on his behalf. It also reveals that Parnas had been communicating with some guy named Robert H. Hyde, who appeared to be monitoring the movements of Ambassador Yovanovitch, who was later ousted by Trump, who told the Ukrainian president that she was, uh, quote, bad news and said, quote, she's going to go through some things. Again, that was Trump, not Giuliani, not Parnas, not Robert Hyde, but Trump telling the president of Ukraine that the American ambassador was going to go through some things. The uh, creepy messages suggest that Mr. Hyde was in touch with people in Ukraine who were monitoring Yovanovitch's movements before she was recalled for her safety, according to State Department officials. And it included cryptic, if creepy, phrases like, quote, they are willing to help if we, you, would like a price. Creepy indeed. Hopefully we'll find uh, something to talk about with all of this with our panel today, which begins, as always, with our producer, the delightful Desi Doyen, who has been up all night pulling clips that we will probably have little or no time to actually use today. <laughs> Good day, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Good day. Also joining us is longtime special debate coverage and now special impeachment coverage champion Heather Digby Parton, long-running award-winning contributor to Salon and and proprietor of the even longer running Digby's Hullabaloo blog, which I see is finally enjoying a perhaps long overdue facelift and a new address on the internets, Ms. Parton. Yes, indeed. I finally uh, made the switch. <laughs> well, <laughs> congratulations on that. That time in my life where you need a little facelift, if you know what I mean. I see what you're saying there. Uh, you can now find it, of course, at digbeesblog.net. Oh, and Happy New Year, Heather. You too. And uh, though this is not the first time on the broadcast for debate coverage for him, it is the first time I have been here for it. As he uh, was guest hosted last time around, as I understand it, by our friend Nicole Sandler. Well, we welcome another longtime champion blogger, pseudonymously known as Drift Glass and as Mr. Electrico on the Twitters. But uh, he's also known as Bill to some who know him, including Barack Obama, who he once vetted when the future president was running for Congress in Chicago. Drift Glass and his delightful wife, Blue Gal, or Fran, will be celebrating the 10th anniversary of their professional left podcast this Friday, which they host rain or shine from what they describe as flyover country, Illinois. Oh, senior drift. Welcome back, amigo. And I'm glad to be here this time for it. 
glad you. I'm glad to be here myself. <laughs> I'm honored. And happy New Year's to you, my friend. Though uh, you were booked to talk, uh, you were both booked to talk about Tuesday night's uh, debate. I chose you guys because I know that you all have been around long and uh, lo- as long as uh, me as old time bloggers. So you're agile enough to handle just about anything that gets thrown at you, as I am forced to do today. Before we get to the debate, then let's talk quickly impeachment and all that's attached to it. Uh, Heather Pelosi finally sent over the articles of impeachment. My question to you, what's the rush? Why did she do so now and, and should she have? Well, I think we've all been asking that question from the very beginning, why the impeachment was such a rush. And I, I've actually just stopped questioning. <laughs> I see. I was like, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I do think that the, the to, I have to give Pelosi some credit in mm-hmm. terms of how she was able to draw out this story in a way that I think really added a lot to the to the drama of it uh, after the, the hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's absolutely right that had she turned it over to the Senate immediately, they they would have just they were planning to dismiss the case. I mean, this was just mm-hmm. going to happen. You know, people fine. Let's go off for our Christmas, and that's the end of that. So she was wise to do that. And of course, in the interim, <laughs> there's been a cascade of Ukrainian shoes dropping all over <laughs> Donald Trump's head. So, and not the least of which were the ones that just dropped last night. So, yep. in that sense, you know, and and there will be more. But I think that it does, you know. Trump wants a show. He's not getting the one that he wanted. Let's just put it that way. Well, yeah, and uh, there might have been a vote to uh, dismiss, as you said. Now, at least we think maybe we'll get a vote on witnesses, whether we actually get witnesses uh, in the trial remains another issue. A drift glass with all of this uh, crazy new information, and it really is crazy, still coming out. Was this the right time to send over the articles to, uh, to begin the Senate trial, as you see it? Yeah, I'm going to uh, draft in right behind the wisdom of Digby and say <laughs> I have no idea. Right. Um, but I do know that in this particular matter, the Speaker of the House is smarter than me, and she is playing a very bad hand right now. Um, I'd like to thank, uh, for the impeachment, I'd like to thank the voters of 2018, who, if they had not turned out record numbers, none of this would have mm. happened. So this has only been going on a year. I mean, the, the, the Democrats have only had control of anything for a year. Mm-hmm. So the fact that our articles of impeachment have been drafted and passed and witnesses called and prepped and it's over in the hands now, I guess, of the Senate is something of a minor miracle. Everyone knows how this drama will probably end. So the only thing you can do if you are sure that you are committing your good work uh, into the hands of people who are going to destroy it, as any writer knows, <laughs> is bulletproof it as much as possible. Um, I'm sure everyone here has probably submitted uh, an article or a story to an editor that you knew was going to destroy it. <laughs> That's what's going to happen here. But I think it's as bulletproof as it can possibly be. And, and, and what do you make of these uh, new documents from Parnas that, as I read them, are really quite dis- creepy and, and oh, disturbing yeah. in truth? Are they not? Yeah, they're... they're um, <laughs> as I told someone last night, that they don't have the criminal sense God gave a lowly Chicago alderman. They're, they're just, they're just, they're idiots. Um, they are, they're criminal idiots, and they put everything in writing, and they put everything on their phone, and it is now spilling out. And I really do think that none of this would have come to light if the um, articles of impeachment had been delivered, you know, promptly and swiftly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very clear now that there's going to be two different hearings of a sense. One's going to be the official impeachment hearing in the Senate, 
and one is going to be the public trial of why didn't you people allow witnesses to be called before this mm. thing landed on my desk? Why didn't you get all of this out in the open before this landed on my desk? Um, the, by the, way, this, do, you, by, do you mean by way of uh, why didn't you get all these witnesses before you sent it over to the, uh, to the Senate? I think this puts enormous pressure on the tiny, tiny number of Republicans in the Senate ah. who are now going to have to answer some fairly embarrassing questions about, well, maybe if this had been properly done, maybe if your president hadn't you know, blocked every single thing, maybe if this hadn't been a sham from the beginning, you all might have gotten a little bit of an inkling about wow. how really, really deeply corrupt this is, and you wouldn't have gotten yourself into such a corner. Gotcha. So there's going to be two different things going on at once. One is the actual impeachment. We're pretty sure we know the outcome of that. And one is going to be this very important sideshow, the Lev Parnas show. <laughs> and the Lev Parnas show, and it's going to be the John Bolton show, if they ever get him up off his feet and into a chair and a Bible under his hand and so forth. And that's going to make it very interesting, because on the one hand, you're going to hear Senate Republicans screaming that witnesses are unnecessary and the House failed. On the other hand, you're going to have all these witnesses floating out in the, uh, the newest sphere mm. with lots of good information who are creepy, awful, <laughs> terrible, third reel of the untouchables-type criminals. Um, <laughs> and everyone asking, well, well, why don't you want to hear from them? Mm-hmm. Exactly. They, they seem kind of important. Yeah, and I think that a corollary to that is going to be how the corporate media covers it, because that's what most Americans are going to hear, what filters out to most of them. And they'll get a chance, hopefully, if the corporate media covers it properly, to actually see how the Senate Republicans and Mitch McConnell are preventing the people from hearing the truth and the facts. Heather, I uh, noticed that there is a a photo of Donald Trump with this guy, Robert H. Hyde, uh, (laughs) who was uh, supposedly surveilling Ambassador Yovan in Ukraine somehow. Uh, This photo with him supposedly celebrating in some way together on the very same day, I'm sure it's a coincidence, but it's the very same day that Yovanovitch was recalled after being told that she should catch the first flight back to the States due to concerns about her safety. There Donald Trump is with this guy Hyde who had been surveilling her. Is this new info uh, a sideshow as uh, Driftglass described it, or does it actually come into play in the heart of the impeachment charges here? Well, we're going to see that Adam Schiff has said publicly that he plans to introduce new evidence in in the trial, which you know, is not unusual in a trial. <laughs> you know, they don't always run the mm-hmm. full, uh, you know, uh, run out every bit of evidence in the preliminary hearing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, you know, they, he, he says he's going to do that. Now, uh, we're going to see over the course of the next couple of days, I mean, you really couldn't make this up, that this particular story lands on the, on the eve mm-hmm. <laughs> of the impeachment trial, literally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this guy, uh, Parnas, is going to be on Rachel Maddow, and this guy, Hyde, is apparently going to give a big statement in the evening, and we're going to hear all kinds of stuff, <laughs> I uh, think. I guess uh, uh, Par- Parnas is, is, is booked to be on Maddow? Yes. Oh, yeah. oh my. Yeah. Uh-huh. On, on, on Wednesday night. Oh. So, you know, yeah. Okay. So, you know, this is... This is Jesus. I'm not sure we need... Yeah. A trial at this point. <laughs> no. But nonetheless, I mean, the, the point about this guy Hyde, and I really think it's important to say this, I mean, it appears from what we're seeing in a lot of stories starting to filter out that he has some issues with, you know, mental illness perhaps mm-hmm. or something. That does not mean that, I mean, there are pictures of him with Parnas, mm-hmm. Truman, 
and Giuliani yeah. sitting around smoking cigars and doing a thumbs up to the camera. He may there be. He may be nuts. Of pictures of him with high level yeah. Republicans, including the Trump family, at Mar-a-Lago. So you know, this guy was there, and we don't know, you know, exactly what he did. But I just have to bring up one thing. Yeah. When Marie Ivanovich was told that she was done, that she'd been fired, that she was told by somebody in the State Department who we really need to hear from mm-hmm. that her, that she had to leave in the debt, you know, catch the next plane yeah. out of Kiev because her personal security was at stake. Yep. And who knew that? What were they talking about? I think that's really a question that's up in the air right now. And that, you know, I'm sure that the, in, the, in the trial, in the, in the formal proceeding, there, there's going to be questions about this. There, you know, that is a witness that needs to be heard. Uh, there has to be. And, yeah, I mean, this guy, uh, he may be nuts, he may be a fantasist, Whatever. but he was there. He was <laughs> there in all of these. And uh, that's why I mentioned that specific date. He was with the president on that date, purportedly, uh, when uh, Yovanovitch was... Um, was told to get the hell out of Ukraine. Uh, very quickly, before we get to a break, and we will uh, go to our debate coverage, I'll get uh, thoughts from both of you on this. Uh, Heather, any thoughts on the on the crew that was selected by Pelosi to serve as House managers? Uh, I might like to have uh, seen uh, some of the folks that I thought did a stellar job during the House hearings, like uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell or Ted Deutsch or Jim Himes or, uh, yes, particularly former Republican congressman turned independent, Justin Amash. Uh, you have any thoughts on this particular uh, group of House managers that she has selected to serve as prosecutors? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, there were others that I would. Jamie Raskin's another one who yeah. I think was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a number, but I understand what she was doing. Look, the, the trial's going to be conducted by Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler and whoever their staff lawyers are that are, you know, talking to them every evening about mm-hmm. <laughs> what they need to do. So, you know, a lot of this is, is sort of performative. And all the people that she chose, you know, she, she wanted to show some regional and ethnic and racial diversity, which is the face of the Democratic Party as compared to the, you know, the, the lineup of white that is going to be on the other side, as we, white and male that's going to be on the other side. So, you know, it's fine. I, I don't, you know, I think that I would have really liked to see a mosh. I think that would have been just a yeah. really smart move. But there are reasons politically within the caucus. I'm sure that they did not want that to happen. So, Drift you know, glass before we get to a break. Uh, any thoughts on the impeachment managers? No, I, I think that she is a, a wise person. She picked exactly what, what Digby says, a, a group that represents what the Democratic Party looks like with a pretty excellent level of competence across the board. Nobody I'm really worried about. Um, I would have liked to have seen, you know, Swalwell in there too, but mm. that's, that's she picks the team and they, they hit the field and that's the way that goes. If I could just add one thing, I yeah. think that Swalwell, Raskin, and some of these other ones uh, that were very good during the hearings, they're going to be on camera, I think. During the breaks, they'll be talking mm. to the press. Maybe yeah. they'll even be on panels. That's very useful to have people who know that case inside and out and are very good um, ex- helping to explain it. So that may be part of the reason why 
they weren't chosen to be part of the actual team. It's uh, very useful to have you guys on board with us today. Let me take a quick break, and we'll come back with some debate coverage in earnest, uh, albeit more truncated than I might have liked. Though, given the, frankly, the lackluster performances I saw on stage in Des Moines on Tuesday, maybe that's okay. Uh, we'll see if uh, the three Ds, that would be Digby, Driftglass, and Desi Doyen, <laughs> agree with me on all of that uh, right after a quick break. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to special coverage of pretty much everything on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. We have to remember who we are. This is the United States of America. There's not a single thing beyond our capacity to do if we do it together. It is about your health care. It is about your schools. It is about your lives and your future. We need a president that's going to look out for you. Together, we can take back this country, and together, we can save the world. This is our moment. This is our one shot to defeat Donald Trump, and to do it by such a big margin that we send Trumpism into the dustbin of history, too. I come here tonight with a heart filled with hope. I see this as our moment in history, our moment when we understand that it comes to us to decide the future of this country. This is the moment when we have got to think big, not small. This is the moment where we have got to have the courage to take on the greed and corruption of the corporate elite and create an economy and create a government that works for all of us. And we go back. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with special coverage of the Tuesday night debate in Des Moines, Iowa, the seventh debate of the 2020 cycle. You heard there six, no uh, no more and no less, six Democratic debate candidates who were invited to take part in Tuesday night's debate in Des Moines, Iowa. The last one before Iowa caucus voters uh, cast the first official votes, sort of, Nobody really understands the Iowa caucuses other than Iowans of the uh, 2020 nominating cycle. The debate was moderated by CNN's Wolf Blitzer and uh, Abby Phillip, along with Des Moines Register's chief political reporter Brian Funnensteel. And it featured Joe Biden, Sa uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar and... Tom Stiers, who uh, all of whom met the qualification requirements set out months ago by the DNC, leaving another uh, six or seven candidates out of the debate and forcing several candidates of late to drop out of the race entirely. Uh, as we head into the Iowa debates just over two weeks from today, the latest polling from the gold standard Des Moines Register poll has Bernie Sanders leading in the state while Joe Biden maintains his national lead in the polls for whatever 
any of those national polls may be worth. We are rejoined by Desi Doyen and our friends Heather Digby Parton and Driftglass. Uh, Driftglass, is it fair or even good for democracy that we brought this down to six candidates on the debate stage uh, after starting with more than 20 uh, without a single actual vote even being cast? I mean, I'm glad it's called down, but who actually called it? It wasn't the voters. No, it's it's not fair and it's not good, and it's a process that is designed to calibrate you towards the whitest state in the union, um, with the smallest number of people attending polls in Iowa, and it's designed for television. And it's it, the problem is I don't know a better way to do this. Mm. Um, if you if you're going to have 400 people running for president, at some point you're going to want to sweat that down to 20, right? And at some point just for the purpose of putting it into a little box on everyone's desk or on everyone's dresser that they can watch on television, you're going to want to have eight to ten people there. The, the real problem is all of this is calibrated for television. Mm-hmm. And as long as this is calibrated for television, and it's calibrated for a, a mainstream, mid, middle-of-the-country audience that you don't want to make too unhappy or too angry, um, I don't know how you get it any better than mm-hmm. this. I, I am never happy with debates. Hmm. ever, because they never talk about what I want to talk about, which is the, the the Republican Party is an existential threat to my country, and it must be burned to the ground. Nobody wants to hear that on a debate stage. So we end up I do, about I do, things. just yeah. want to get in Me there. Me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, go ahead, so go ahead. <laughs> but but that, that isn't something we're going to discuss. I also want to hear about the media being the enabling monster that has created the Republican Party that I want to see burned to the mm-hmm. ground. But that's not going to get talked about on television. So you have to fit this entire political process, like the Procrustean bed, you have to squeeze it into a box and present it to an audience. And you're going to end up with something like this, no matter what. So I don't know how to do it any better. I'm glad it's not my job to figure out how to do it any better. But ending up with six white candidates on stage before any votes have been cast is atrocious. You don't know how to do it any better, but you certainly do know how to complain about it. Exactly. That's what makes me a liberal. Well, speaking (laughs) of the uh, enabling monster that is the media, uh, I don't know how you guys feel, but I I think we finally may have a winner in the worst debate moderator of the 2020 (laughs) cycle contest. Heather, that woman... Uh, Brianna Fonnensteel from Des Moines Register. I-, I thought she was awful, and she seemed more interested in asking her questions than actually getting answers from the candidates that she kept cutting off. Uh, Heather, do you agree? Uh, and in general, did you learn anything about any of the candidates in the Tuesday night debate that you didn't know before? Well, first of all, of course I agree. This is ridiculous. I mean, when they had 20 people on stage or however many of the first ones, you know, cutting off the candidates if they rambled on made some sense so that everybody got a chance to talk. They whittled it down. There's no reason not to let those people finish their sentences mm-hmm. at this point. And, in fact, in the debate before, they did. That was the PBS debate, I mm-hmm. think. They let them go, and it was much more comfortable, free-flowing. It was. I felt like that was something where people were really able to at least articulate an idea without being interrupted. Mm-hmm. So I, I was extremely annoyed by that, as, as obviously you were, too. Yeah. Yeah, I um, kept shouting at the television. <laughs> yeah, let the, let them answer. Yeah. yeah, it was ridiculous. And she was the worst, but the others did it, too. And it was very annoying. Um, but, you know, the, as far as did I learn anything? No. Let me just say, I yeah. learned nothing. And, and I'm, I'm with Drifty on this one. 
Um, you know, I always complain about debates. I, I don't have any greater answer on how to do this. It's, it's always a problem. I tend to be of the mind that I'm just going to wait until voters weigh in uh, before I even, you know, start thinking about, quote, electability or mm-hmm. any of that. Um, and I will say this. I am going to, you know, take chopsticks and, you know, pound them in my ears if I have to hear another debate about the arcane financing mechanisms of Medicare for all versus the public option. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I yeah. you know, but we've been there. I think we know as much as we're going to know. We know where their positions are relative to each other, and this is just ridiculous that they keep pounding on that. There, you know, climate change finally got a little bit of, yeah. of attention last night, but it, but not nearly enough. I mean, Australia is you know, a living hell, mm-hmm. apocalyptic nightmare at yep. the moment. And the idea that that didn't hit the top of it, guns, you know, uh, reproductive rights, there was a whole bunch of stuff that we, they could have talked about at greater length and in greater depth, and maybe we would have learned something. But instead, it was just, you know, it's like they're rehashing the same questions over and over and over again. Mm, and, and, and I frankly am just, you know, I'll be ready for them to be done. And oh, uh, well. voting rights, I'm just saying, also yeah, did exactly. not come up. But uh, exactly. you'll be happy to know I have no questions about health care uh, today. Des, you had a thought? I, I, yeah, I just yeah. want to say, did anybody notice how the discussion of, say, troop deployments in the Middle East, that none of the moderators asked, how are you going to pay for it? Oh. Exactly. Right, not one. Exactly. No, they never do. Is well, there... Mexico's going to pay for it, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the plan. That's the plan. Is there anybody on that stage, uh, Drift Glass, that uh, you, uh, well, that any of you could not vote for if they won the nomination? Uh, not vote for? Yeah. Is there anyone no, who a... you would say, oh, if they win, I, I just can't vote for them? Uh, are you okay? Have you been drinking, Brad? Because <laughs> I think you should lay down. Um no, I put a potted plant on the stage. I'll vote for the potted plant. Um, is is uh, there I, is there any dem that was not on the stage that you know that is still in the race that you could not vote for if they won the nomination? Yeah, there might be one, but I don't think she's going to uh, make it past the next couple of months. So, okay, so that would be Tulsi Gabbard uh, and <laughs> a- a- Andrew Yang. Uh, could you vote for him for president if he was the nominee? Uh, uh, I, I have really uh, excellent discussions with my stepson about Andrew Yang, because Andrew Yang wants to give him money and, and make pot legal, and that those are two things that my stepson thinks are very important. <laughs> uh, but but those, are, you know, those are sort of the kind of you know, high school dorm libertarian discussions that you have mm-hmm. at the end of the day. If Andrew Yang is the nominee, mm-hmm. and I hold him up in one hand and Donald Trump four more years and Donald Trump in the other, I am... 100% Yang Gang at that point. I will knock doors for him. I will go out and hand flyers for him. I will run naked through the park for him. But... <laughs> oh, I hope he doesn't get the nomination. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I believe that uh, voters should vote, frankly, for who they like best, you know, yeah. period, in the primaries, uh, for those whose positions they like the best. But even knowing that, I cannot stop myself uh, from thinking, and I suspect this is true for all of us, but you'll tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, I can't stop myself from thinking who's going to be best able to take on Donald Trump head to head, especially now that it's uh, seemingly, you know, called down to four or five or six or seven. Uh, Heather, do you feel the same? And if so, who do you see best able to take him on at this point? And I give you permission to change your mind down the road uh, as <laughs> things change. Well, I'm not going to give you an answer and I'll tell you why. Why? 
Um, my feeling has been from the very beginning, either any of them can beat, them, beat him or none of them can. I, don't, I think this is a mm. referendum on Donald Trump. And it's just like what Driftglass just said, and I think that most Democrats feel the same way. This is going to be hand-to-hand combat, get out the base, you know, as, work as hard as we can for whoever it is. And uh, that, that, that finally makes the grade. I mean, I have people that I prefer and that I would love to see mm-hmm. go up against Trump. I mean, I'm no fan of, of Mike Bloomberg, for instance. I mean, I, that, that, the whole idea of having another billionaire in there kind of makes me dizzy and crazy. However, there's a part of me that would enjoy seeing Michael Bloomberg just stand up there and go, you know, here, here, Don, here's my... Here's my portfolio. Take a look. You right. know? I mean, just just to see the you know Trump have to deal with someone who is an actual billionaire. So just to um, underscore what you said, you feel that either any of them can beat him or nobody can beat him yes. at this point. That I have I have felt that right. from the beginning. I think it's about him less mm-hmm. than it is about us. And uh, so I, I guess I need to do this. Let me do this before we go to a break, uh, because I, I don't even I'm loath to even run this clip at all or even have this conversation because I think it's kind of stupid. Uh, it, it plays into Trump's hands. It play It's pretty much media chum that I've been trying to avoid for days. But I guess we just have to discuss it. Uh, earlier this week, it was reported that in a private conversation between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, he reportedly told her this was back in 2018, that he didn't think a woman could become president. At least that's how it's been reported. That's the charge that appears to come from the Warren camp. Uh, and here is part of what played out on this on, uh, on Tuesday night in Des Moines. In 2018, you told her that you did not believe that a woman could win the election. Why did you say that? Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. Uh, and I don't want to waste a whole lot of time on this because this is what Donald Trump and maybe some of the media want. Uh, anybody knows me, knows that it's incomprehensible that I would think that a woman could not be president of the United States. Go to YouTube today. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million votes. How could anybody in a million years not believe that a woman could become president of the United States? And let me be very clear. If any of the women on this stage or any of the men on this stage win the nomination. I hope that's not the case. I hope it's me. (laughs) But if they do, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they are elected in order to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of our country. This question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it head on. Can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. The only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Amy and me. Well, now, uh, to be fair, uh, Tom Steyer hasn't lost an election either. But, uh, Heather, you are a woman. Is this a... (laughs) Is this a conversation? Uh, do we actually have to be having this conversation at all? Elizabeth Warren says we do. Uh, actually, I think it's fine that she that she put it that way um, because it is a conversation that people are having all over the country. Can a woman win? And it's not a natural conversation, mainly because a woman mm-hmm. has never been president. Mm-hmm. So until that happens, there's going to be a question as whether or not there's something going on here 
that prevents that from happening. Having said that, I think that the way she handled it was, was good, and I think they got it out there. I don't think that it was particularly antagonistic between she and, and Sanders, mm-hmm. although it had been among their people during the rest of the week. And I think that that, you know, that kind of broke the, the fever a little bit on that particular question. And I think going for, I think she made some good points. You know, I mean, a lot of people have pointed out in 2018, women just ran the table uh, in elections. Uh-huh. So, you know, maybe... Maybe it's time. Now, Driftglass, I would have uh, skipped this one entirely, frankly, uh, but for the fact that, A, Warren appears to be, uh, to have not been willing, first, to to shake Bernie's hand, it appears, after the debate. So there still seems to be some bad blood there. And while this was a private conversation in 2018, we can't really know who said what and what was said, but it was Warren's campaign who put that out there. Was that a good idea? Well, if if Digby's going to speak for all women, then I guess I'm stuck speaking for all men everywhere. <laughs> I think you should. Yeah. Which is a very, very uncomfortable place for me to be. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to uh, gracefully sidestep the question by suggesting that both answers are correct. Um, Bernie Sanders very clearly said that he didn't say it. Um, maybe there was a misunderstanding. Maybe he meant this time around. I don't know. I wasn't in the room. Um, and then he went on to say, whoever the nomination is, whoever the nominee is, I will work for them because Donald Trump is the real threat. And Elizabeth Warren also said, look, the question of whether or not a woman can win is a legitimate question, given the fact that we've never done it before. Um, Both of those things are true. And I think that this is the narcissism of small differences. It is people going, oh, my God, did you see? Did you see he didn't shake her hand? Oh, she Mm -hmm. didn't shake his hand. Is is something that will be gone like the morning dew in in three days. It It is... because there was nothing else to talk about. Um, I, 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 my impression of the debate was it was like the Coleco electric NFL football game from the yeah. 70s. It was a bunch of players yes. lined up, and there was a buzzing sound. They sort of moved around and bumped into each other, uh-huh. and the debate was over. And there was nothing to talk about. There was no, nobody got out of their lane. Nobody said anything terribly outrageous or controversial. Nobody drew blood. So we're going to pick at these little things. And I'm just going to um, uh, wisely not participate in that and say I agree with Bernie Sanders that I will support whoever the nominee is. And I agree with Elizabeth Warren that it's high time we talked about why a woman has never been president of the United States. Fair enough, but I really enjoyed that Coleco uh, football game in the 1970s. <laughs> I did, too. I, I, I didn't know really anything. loved it. Uh, yeah, Dad's well, I'm just, uh, I, I am really unhappy that we had to get pushed off onto this cul-de-sac of high school-level gossip because yeah. I don't think there's anything of any value that could be found in, oh, my goodness, she didn't shake his hand. There yeah. is a good conversation to be had about why the American people, or at least some of them, anyway, are not ready to deal with women in politics and women in the highest levels of, of leadership. Um, you know, yes, Hillary Clinton was an outlier, I think, when it comes to the presidential race. Uh, these things are developing and evolving, but we do have a problem, I think, overall with misogyny in the United States. Yeah, but couldn't we have that conversation without coming out and, uh, frankly, hitting Bernie Sanders over the head with it in a private conversation that nobody can know I mean, I, I just as a tactical move, I don't understand why Elizabeth Warren. Well, I guess maybe I do. Uh, Bernie Sanders seems to be on the rise right now. She se- her numbers seem to be uh, falling. So I guess that's why she has to go after Bernie. I, I just it doesn't seem like 
that has been in character for either of them, but I guess uh, that can't last forever, Heather? It's an election. It's a primary. We're getting close. It's going to get worse. And if you look at the the polling in Iowa, which is where they are right now, Mm -hmm. and it's the first one, it's a jump ball. Nobody knows who's going to win that. I mean, that one, it could be any. It's all within the margin of error, the top four. So, you know, (laughs) they're, they're, you know, jostling against each other, trying to to get some advantage. And, uh, you know, it all seems pretty mild to me. I mean, some... There have been campaigns that were way worse. I don't do yeah. you remember in 2004 they were running ads against Howard Dean that had showed pictures of Osama bin Laden and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, I mean, and that was in a primary. I mean, this the things have things have been been uglier. Let's just put it that way. I think it's been fairly polite so far, all things considered. And I'm not concerned. I mean, this is gonna we're gonna have a big rush here over the next two or three months because um, Super Tuesday. I mean, there's going to be some big states. Uh. Involved, including us in mm-hmm. California. So uh, you know, this is probably going to shake out fairly quickly. I would expect. Yes, with other catastrophes, actual yes, catastrophes know. taking yeah. their place. I fear. All right, quick break. We're back with our last segment with uh, Heather Digby Parton and the great Drift Glass from Flyover Country, Illinois, and of course Desi Doyen and myself, Brad Friedman, with our special coverage of the uh, first. Debate, first Democratic debate of 2020, right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. The issue here is that there are two pharma lobbyists for every member of Congress. Thank you, Senator. They think they own Washington. They don't own me. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Special coverage of the 2020 Democratic debate from Des Moines, Iowa on Tuesday on just another busy day in the Trump era with my guests uh, Heather Digby Parton and Drift Glass and, of course, Desi Doyen. Uh, Guys, in more uh, substantive conversation on Tuesday night at the debate, the candidates were asked uh, in light of Trump's assassination of Iranian General Qasem uh, Soleimani, Without permission or consultation with Congress, Uh, they were asked about that and about our endless nearing two decade old wars in the Middle East, at least two decades, depending on how you count them, uh, why each one of them was best suited to be commander in chief. And if it is time to get out of the Middle East, here is how Elizabeth Warren uh, answered uh, part of that. Senator Warren, why are you best prepared to be commander in chief? I believe the principal job of the Commander-in-Chief is to keep America safe. And I think that's about judgment. I think it starts with knowing our military. I sit on the Senate Armed Services Committee. I work with our generals, with our military leaders, with our intelligence. But I also visit our troops. I've been to Afghanistan, to Iraq, to Jordan. And I fight for our troops to make sure that they get their pay, that they get the housing and medical benefits that they've been promised, that they don't get cheated by giant financial institutions. 
But I also know that we have to think about our defense in very different ways. We have to think about cyber. We have to think about climate. We also have to think about how we spend money. We have a problem with a revolving door in Washington between the defense industry and the Department of Defense and the Pentagon. That is corruption, pure and simple. We need to block that revolving door and we need to cut our defense budget. We need to depend on all of our tools, diplomatic, economic, working with our allies, and not let the defense industry call the shots. She, uh, Elizabeth Warren, later said that absolutely it is time to bring the troops home, that uh, candidates from both parties uh, claim they want to and then they don't. Uh, Heather, uh, that's by way of contrast with Biden and Klobuchar and even Buttigieg on Tuesday night, all of whom seem to be indicating that we should pretty much stay in the Middle East forever, as I heard it, even if it's, uh, oh, we'll just have some special forces on the ground. Um, yeah, and I think I think her 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 vision there was uh, interesting, and uh, you know I think her her focus on the uh, you know the military industrial complex and mm-hmm. how it hit uh, sort of runs things uh, was excellent. But I'm not sure that I really understand what what she means by all that because there is there are and I'm for bringing the you know, withdrawing troops as well. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that the, of the two uh, that, you know, that come at this from the left, uh, I think Sanders has a clearer view. And I'm, I'm kind of a Warren stand myself. But I think in this one respect, I think that, that she has the weaker um, case because, uh, you know, Sanders has been very clear about mm-hmm. the idea of creating new international institutions and in various other ways to... Um, achieve the goals that, you know, we can't pretend we do not have. I mean, you have to, you know, terrorism is a real thing, and there is actually, you know, there's a world, you know, energy market. I mean, there's a lot of things that that do affect us and our allies and the rest of the planet, including climate change. And his view of that, I think, is a little bit more uh, fully fleshed out. I think it's a weakness on her part, and now that we've, you know, we're on the brink of war again, um, I think that that's something she's probably going to have to pay a little bit closer attention Let to. Let me uh, play a clip here real quick from Biden and Sanders, who uh, mixed it up a bit over uh, Biden's support for the Iraq war, which he is now uh, sort of trying to pretend uh, did not happen. And I'll get to some of uh, Drifty's thoughts on this. Senator Sanders, uh, you have been attacking Vice President Biden's vote on the Iraq war, but you recently acknowledged that your vote to authorize the war in Afghanistan was also a mistake. So you've both acknowledged mistakes. Why should the American people trust your judgment more? Well, there's a little bit of a difference. On that particular vote, every single member of the House, including myself, voted for it. Only Barbara Lee voted against it. The difference here is that the war in Iraq turned out to be the worst foreign policy blunder in the modern history of this country. As Joe well knows, we lost 4,500 brave troops. Hundreds of thousands of Iraqis died. We have spent trillions of dollars on that endless war, money which should go into health care and education and infrastructure in this country. Joe and I listened to what Dick Cheney and George Bush and Rumsfeld had to say. I thought they were lying. Joe saw it differently. I was asked to bring 156,000 troops home from that war, which I did. I led that effort. It was a mistake to trust that they weren't going to go to war. They said they were not going to go to war. 
They said they were just going to get inspectors in. The world, in fact, voted to send inspectors in, and they still went to war. From that point on, I was in the position of making the case that it was a big, big mistake. And from that point on, I voted to, I, I moved to bring those troops home. Uh, Drift Glass, you, Digby, me, Desi Doyen, we're all among the people that got it right on the Iraq war so many years ago when guys, uh, frankly, like Sanders and Biden were voting for that war. Uh, your thoughts on all of this? Well, I think there was a, just tactically, there was a missed opportunity for someone to put, the, put a dagger into Joe Biden and say, but Joe, I thought you said we could work with Republicans. I thought ah. you said we could trust Republicans. I thought mm -hmm. Republicans were decent, noble people who'd uh. been, you know, hypnotized by Donald mm -hmm. Trump. And once he's gone, they're all going to go back to being decent, kind, thoughtful, deficit-hating, constitutional-loving, Burke-quoting, you know, <laughs> citizens. <laughs> right. How do you reconcile those two? And then just sit back and watch him stumble. Um, but nobody did that, um, which is unfortunate yeah. because that was a really big whiff. Um, it, it's... If you don't want to have troops everywhere, then you have to have in the international institutions, like Bernie Sanders points out, that we can all lean on, that are all strong, and, and you have very good coalitions around the world among people you can trust to keep the world from blowing up on a whole bunch of issues. And the problem with that is that every time a Republican gets into office, they shred every one of our alliances, mm. our national, uh, international reputation. George Bush did it with, with the Iraq War. Dick Cheney did it with old Europe. Donald Trump does it every time he opens his mouth. So the problem is there is so much rebuilding that we're going to have to do after Donald Trump is gone. Yeah, that has to go much, much deeper than get rid, getting rid of one guy. Well, let me uh, let me let, let me push you with this. Uh, push you sure. on this because I've got really just a minute or two left here. Uh, I wanted to play this clip from Buttigieg where they were where they had asked him, "Oh, Donald Trump promised that Iran would never have a nuclear weapon. Uh, would you allow Iran to become nuclear? Yes or no?" He said no, and to me. Uh, after he had given a pretty decent answer to the rest of that question, it, it says to me that he would, uh, you know, not allow Iran to get to go nuclear. Therefore, he would be willing to go to war over a nuclearized Iran. It seems to me, Amy Klobuchar said that she would also not allow Iran to get a nuclear weapon. I don't know how you can make that promise unless you're actually going to go to war with them. So, uh, I mean, am I reading that wrong? Uh, a lot of people say a lot of silly things during debates. Barack Obama <laughs> was going to close Guantanamo on day one. That never happened. Well, he did. He did close it. He the tried. Democrats <laughs> stopped him in the Congress. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, but and and he adopted um, a, a, a lot of points from Hillary Clinton after saying that those points were invalid and he would never do that. This is politics. So you, you're going to get a lot of simple declarative statements that reassure Iowa farmers, and that's mm. the audience of, for this debate, Iowa voters that I will not let Iran have a nuclear weapon. Well, it's not within your power to do so. And so... Well, it is. It is as commander-in-chief, Bill. Yeah, except it isn't. It, unless you want to commit to pulling the trigger on World War III... Right. Then the <laughs> only alternative, and this is my point, is you have, I don't know, some sort of treaty with them that has international <laughs> support mm. that's been signed by a whole bunch of our allies mm. that has verification yeah. that Democrats put into place and that Donald Trump wiped his butt with day one when he came into <laughs> office. 
<laughs> All right. I have to get out here. Uh, so uh, a closing uh, question here with uh, Biden, Buttigieg, Sanders and Warren all pretty much knotted up at the top in the polls in Iowa and and even elsewhere. Very quickly around the horn here. Uh, start with you, Des. Uh, which one of them improved their lot on Tuesday night, if any, uh, and which lost ground? You know, that's an interesting question. I hadn't put it in those terms because I was thinking of what does this debate really show us? And I think the debate actually shows us what we've seen before, which is who's going to go big, who's going to go incremental and slow. But it also tells you about the trade-offs that these candidates are going to make, that they say that they will make if they are elected president on all kinds of things, what their judgment yeah, is going to Yeah, but you're dodging who went up and who went down. You, you know, want to keep, keep dodging? You're I, welcome to. You know, I think they all kind of stay the same, so as I saw it, yeah. so that's why I don't really... No movement. Drift glass, yeah. any movement? Sorry, um, uh, up against the clock. <laughs> if if I had to say who the us is, who the audience was for this, being Iowa farmers and Iowa voters, I'd say Klobuchar. She talked about farms, and she talked about her dad, and she talked about long-term health care and the need for long-term. She she really nailed some points that people who are not political junkies actually worry about and talk about. So if I mm. had to guess, I'd guess that she bumped her number up 1%. Okay. Well, uh, Drift Glass is totally wrong about that. How about you, Digby? <laughs> uh, any thoughts? Well, I personally felt that that uh, Warren may have bumped up a little bit. I think maybe she, you know, caught caught a little bit of a tailwind there. And I think Buttigieg is definitely. I think he's thinking. Surprisingly, among the group of people that I was watching with, you know, who they really kind of liked for the first time and went, "Wow, that guy's really good." Who's that? Tom Steyer. So, Tom Steyer. Yeah, really? Were you, a bunch of li- Santa Monica liberals we're talking about wow. here. Wow. So. Were you watching there with you Were you watching with Drift Glass's uh, stepson, who's totally stoned <laughs> the whole time? Yeah, we hey, we got all that here. Yeah, you know? uh, that's <laughs> true. All right, we got to get out. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, Heather Digby Parton. You can find her work at salon.com and of course on her uh, new website address, digbysblog.net, and also on the Twitters at digby56. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Drift Glass, as well. It has been a delight. You can find him on the Twitters at Mr. Underscore Electrico. Uh, And, of course, uh, you can listen to his podcast, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary this Friday, the Professional Left Pod. You can find that at ProLeftPod.com. Thanks, Bill. A delight to have you here today. My pleasure. Also, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Made possible by listeners who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, you can drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.